want you to imagine the first Easter Sunday for the disciples. Jesus had died on the cross on Friday night, and all of the disciples were devastated and confused. They had lots of plans. They had envisioned a future where Jesus had established himself as this glorious king in Jerusalem. And their biggest argument was who was going to have the most important jobs in his kingdom to come. But then everything went wrong. All their expectations were destroyed and they find themselves on the first Easter locked in a room and they're afraid. Seems they had slipped into despair, depression, hopelessness, and anxiety. And so I'm wondering if this Easter, any of you can possibly relate to the disciples, maybe just a little bit. I feel like I can. Spent more time locked in in the last few days than I have in my life. And I had plans for Easter and plans for April and plans for the coming weeks and months that have all been thrown, thrown into a mess because of the circumstances that have changed. But what I find interesting about the Easter story, as we've read it, is all the men were paralyzed. All the men were locked in and afraid. And the one who stepped out and stepped up and went to see what was going on was Miss Mary Magdalene. She had the gumption and the energy, and she wanted to go back to Jesus' grave and pay her respects and and anoint his body with some special funeral spices that she had. And then she shows up at his grave, and you see that she's totally confused because his body is not where it had been left. In fact, she's so confused and so flummoxed by all of this that she goes ahead and goes and and starts this, this frantic discussion with two angels. She doesn't even notice that she's arguing with angels. She says, they've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they've put him. The furthest thing from Mary's mind is the possibility that, that maybe somehow he's risen from the dead. She just thinks someone has come and has removed his body from the place that, that they've left it. And, and then Jesus, or, or, and then Mary turns around and sees Jesus himself. He's risen from the dead. And he says, why are you crying? And Mary says the same thing to him. They've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they've put him. She doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's a gardener, John tells us. And then Jesus looks at her again and says, Mary. And she realizes what has happened. And then as the story goes, Jesus, or Mary runs back to the disciples, and she says, I've seen the Lord. He's risen from the dead. And remember, none of them say, oh, of course he did. Now I remember he said over and over again that he was going to die and then he would rise again from the dead. None of them believed her. And it wasn't until Jesus physically and personally appeared to the disciples and they saw him face to face that they began to understand the truth of what he had said and the power of what had happened on the first Good Friday when he died for sinners and the first. Easter, when he rose again from the dead. See, this is one of the things that's interesting. If you read all of the stories of the resurrection, they're found in the gospel of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. One of the things that's universal is 
nobody was expecting it. All of the disciples were surprised by Easter, surprised by the resurrection. All of them look like they're caught a little flat-footed by the surprise of God when he, when he raises his son from the dead. And that's one of the things that gives these documents credibility. Because, you know, these, these documents, the, the, the stories of Jesus' life were all heavily influenced by Peter, James, and John, and the other disciples. They all worked together to collaborate and to write these things. And you would think if they were making this story up, they'd make themselves look a little better. They'd make it look like they had known all along that Jesus was going to rise from the dead and and that they were expecting it and that they were stalwart in their faith from the very beginning. But instead, everybody's absolutely confused. Everybody among his original disciples requires a personal encounter with the risen Christ to, to experience to, to believe that he's risen from the dead. But this shows us the challenge of following Jesus in this life. When we're following Jesus, when we're believing in Jesus, he does things that we're not expecting. He does things that surprise us. He does things that mess up our plans. And sometimes he doesn't answer the prayers that we offer the way we expect to with the way we expect him to answer them, he doesn't, he doesn't fulfill the promises that he's made in the way that we expect him to fulfill them. And just like the disciples, following Jesus can be confusing. Following Jesus can be surprising. And that's because God's plan is not our plan. God's plan for your life is not the same as your plan for your life. God's intention of what he's going to do in you and through you is not the same as is not the same as what you would like God to do in you and through you. And so when we decide to follow Jesus, when we surrender ourselves to the work of God, you've got to expect to be surprised. You've got to expect that sometimes your plans are not going to work because God's job is not to bless your plans. God's job is to accomplish his plan through you. But there's good news in this story. And the good news is simply this, that even though the disciples didn't understand and didn't believe and didn't have faith when uh, regarding the resurrection and didn't know what was going on when Jesus died and, and weren't believing that he was going to rise again from the dead, even though the disciples completely failed, God accomplished his purpose. Jesus rose from the dead without the hope of their faith, without the hope of their support, without without their prayers and without them believing that God was going to do it. Because see, the great purposes of God, the great works of God in this world and even in your life, they actually don't even depend on your faith. God is going to do these things and God is going to accomplish these things with or without you. God is not going to be held back by the limits of his followers and even the failures of his followers to accomplish the purpose he has for this world. You know, in retrospect, the disciples realized, oh yeah, this is what Jesus was telling us the whole time. Early in his ministry, Jesus had been asked for a sign that get, that what was his authority to, to cast the money changers out of the temple. And remember what he said? He said, 
destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it again, and I will rebuild it. And his disciples and everybody who listened was confused by that assertion of Jesus. But then in retrospect, John remembers, this is John chapter 2, he remembers, oh yeah, the temple he was speaking of was his body. And then another time, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, ask him for a sign that he has the authority that he claims to have. And he says, just as Jonah was three days and, and three nights in the belly of the whale, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights buried in the earth. And his disciples real, realized, oh yeah, he was predicting the resurrection of the dead. But while Jesus was somewhat cryptic with the religious leaders, he was very explicit with his disciples. Over and over again, he says to them, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. And three days later, I will rise again. Like Mark 31, Mark 9, verse 31 is just one of the examples of this. The son of man, Jesus said, speaking of himself, is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. But three days later, he will rise. Over and over Jesus said to his disciples in his last days, this is the plan. We're going into Jerusalem. It's not going to seem like it's ending well. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be condemned. I'm going to hang on the cross. I'm going to die. And three days later, I'm going to rise again. But the disciples didn't believe it. The disciples didn't understand it. It didn't get through to them until it actually happened. And I think this is a lesson for all of us as well in our lives. When things go wrong, when life is confusing to us, we need to do what the disciples did. We need to learn like the disciples learned because when God lets our life go wrong and when God lets our relationships go haywire, when God lets our careers get off track, when God gives us these struggles and these challenges, that is always an opportunity for us to go deeper, to go deeper in our understanding of what God is doing and open our hearts to God doing a new thing in our life, something that's bigger and greater than anything we can expect. You know, if everything worked out in our life and all of our plans worked out the way we wanted them to, and all of our jobs worked out the way we wanted them to do, and every time we got sick, it was just a simple cold and then it went away, and, and everything continued on a linear path onward and upward, you know what would happen? We wouldn't need the power of God. We wouldn't need the Spirit of God. We wouldn't need to go deeper in our faith. I've known a lot of people for whom everything seems to have worked out. And one thing that they have in common is they tend to be very shallow in their face because they don't need to go deep in understanding the will of God and the work of God. They don't need to go deep in prayer and surrender to God because it's times like this when our relationships are disrupted, when our careers are disrupted, when the, the economy is disrupted, when even our church is disrupted that we have an opportunity to go deeper in our faith and ask God, what are you doing at this time? What are you doing in me? What are you doing in my life? What, what is the new thing that you are accomplishing through us? The disciples 
went on to see that that they they looked back at the teaching of Jesus, they recollected the things that he had said to them, and they realized that Jesus knew all along that he was going to Jerusalem, that he was going to die, and then he would, would one day rise again from the dead. They knew this all along. They realized this is what he'd always been saying. This is what the plan always was. They just didn't understand it till they looked back. And then they continued to study the Old Testament. And one of the things that's remarkable about the teaching of the apostles in the book of Acts and in the letters they wrote later in the New Testament is they start seeing all these signs and all these teachings in the Old Testament that were that were affirming and predicting that the Messiah and the servant of God would suffer and would die and then would rise again. So the disciples began to see everywhere they looked prophecies of Jesus being exactly who they said he would be. You know, difficulty can discourage us. Difficulty can make us doubt. Sometimes difficulties, when we face difficulties in our life, it makes us wonder about the work of God and wonder if God is still at work and wonder if God is with us. But I want to encourage you instead, in the midst of the difficulties you're facing right now, to open your heart, to open your mind to God doing a new thing in your life, doing a new thing in your personal life, doing a new thing in your career, doing a new thing even in your calling and in your way of serving him. Because the way God works is every death leads to a resurrection. Every loss is simply a prelude to new life. But it's always a surprise. It's always something that's beyond what we could expect. It's never the first thing we think of how this is going to work out because it's always something greater than we can imagine. So open your heart to the new thing that God is doing. Use the difficulties that God is putting you in right now as as tools and as inspiration to make you go deeper in your faith and deeper in your hope. Because when God messes up our plans, it's because he's doing something greater than we can comprehend. You know, God doesn't give us what we want. He gives us something that is greater than we would know to want. And so let God show you. You know, the disciples meet Jesus personally. He shows up in the locked room where they are hiding in fear, where they are wallowing in their despair. And all of a sudden they realize Jesus is risen. History is going to take a much different turn than we could imagine. But remember, there was one disciple who wasn't there. The disciple Thomas, he missed that first encounter with Jesus. And so the disciples, the other remaining disciples run to Thomas and they say, we've seen the Lord. He's risen again. And Thomas says, oh, of course he has. Now it all makes sense. Actually, no. You know, he's called Doubting Thomas for a reason. His 10 friends go to him and they say, we've seen the Lord. He's risen from the dead. And, and Thomas is like, no way. That's impossible. You guys are all crazy. And unless I see him personally, I'm not going to believe. And in fact, Thomas says, says, I'm not even going to trust my eyes unless I can touch his hands and see the place where the nails went in and touch his side and see the place where the spear went in. I'm not going to believe that it's actually Jesus and he's actually risen from the dead. And you know the story. So Thomas 
stuck to his guns. He refused to believe even on the testimony of Mary, even on the testimony of his disciples, of, of his friends, because he, he still couldn't comprehend what God was doing in this place. And then one day they're all together and Jesus shows up again. And Jesus calls out Thomas by name and says, Thomas, here I am. It's true. Feel my hands. Touch my side. Stop doubting and believe. And then what I like about this story, what inspires me about it is then Jesus goes on to say, Thomas, you've believed because you have seen. But blessed are those who believe who've never seen. You know what Jesus is doing right there? He's calling a blessing on you, on me, on all the followers of Christ through the ages who would believe that he conquered death for them, believe that he died for them and then rose again for them. And as a result of that, everything's different. Jesus in that moment says, if you can believe that I rose from the dead, you are blessed. If you can believe that I conquered death for you, the blessing of God will be on you. Thomas believed because he saw the greater thing, the more powerful thing is to believe without having seen. You know, life is confusing. Life is scary. Life is uncertain. Life is difficult in all kinds of ways. All of us had plans for our life that are totally messed up right now. But the risen Christ and the power of God is going to take all of this mess and he's going to create something greater, something better, something that is so profound that we don't know enough to ask for it. But if we'll receive it as a gift, God will accomplish a new thing in your life, even today, even now, even in the midst of the chaos and the disappointment and the struggle we find ourselves. God's specialty is to go above and beyond all that we could ask or imagine. Our challenge is simply to trust in him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the victory of Jesus over sin and over death. I pray that you would help us to experience the blessing that Jesus pronounced on us. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. And I pray that we'd experience that blessing in the midst of the chaos that we find ourselves in in this moment. And trust that in the midst of all our broken plans and broken dreams and, and difficulties and in the midst of all this uncertainty, you are at work and you're up to something, and that something is good. In fact, it's better than anything we can imagine. Help us to believe that. Help us to trust in you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.